keep secrets, I don't share them, especially my own. This morning we're going to talk about secrets, because we all have them to some degree. Somewhere along the way, the Christians in a church in a town called Ephesus started keeping secrets. They started not sharing about what was going on in their hearts with somebody else, and pretty soon before they knew it, everybody was keeping everybody else's secrets. We know that to be true because the Bible gives us a before and after shot of this amazing little church. The Christians in Ephesus were paying the high cost of living whole and free. The city of Ephesus was kind of like Vegas. What happened in Ephesus followed you home just like what happens in Vegas follows you home if you don't do what you're supposed to do, right? Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor. It was the headquarters of a religion that worshipped a goddess named Diana. Temple prostitution was the central commercial exploit of that particular city. And in the middle of that broken place, this group of Christians comes together and discovers faith in Jesus Christ and a revival breaks up. The believers are paying a high cost for their faith And I'd like to share with you this morning the before picture of Ephesus, and we're going to contrast it in a minute. Listen to Paul's description of the reputation of these people. Here's the before picture. In Ephesians 1, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. These people start out loving God and loving people. They love God because of what he's taken them out of in their former life. They love people because... God loves people. And all the way through the book of Ephesians, we find Paul talking about this group of people. He shares these contrasts. He starts off by saying this about them in Ephesians 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul's saying, you were spiritually dead. You had no life. You were living a counterfeit of a life and you were fooling yourself. He says, you thought you were in love. You found out actually you were just in lust and you were disappointed. He says, you were dead. But then in Ephesians 2.13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He says, you were dead, but now you're alive. You have a new relationship. You have a new first love, and it's completely revolutionized your passion for life. He says, not only are you alive, but also in Ephesians 2.19, he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. He says, because of this new love relationship you have, now you got a family. You're not on the outside looking in. You're on the inside reaching out. He goes on to say, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He says, because of your new relationship, God's literally living inside of you and guiding you every moment of every day. He says, you didn't used to have that. In Ephesians 5.8, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I mean, he just paints this amazing contrast. He basically says to the Ephesians, Look, you were dead, but now you're alive. You had nothing, but now you have everything. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you can see. You were broken, but now you're whole. And the coolest thing about everything Paul says to the Ephesian church is that it's true for those of you here this morning who have the same first love relationship with Jesus too. That's how blessed you are. Paul commends them for their passion for God. He paints this amazing before picture. Like, look at you guys. 
when he signs off, he leaves them with a caution. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Boy, this church looks good, don't they? But somewhere along the line, the Christians in a little church in Ephesus started keeping secrets. And the secret was they had lost their first love. They started taking credit for their own spiritual success. They they started finding little loopholes where God had asked them to do something, but they just found a way around it. They became God's grand exception. The before picture is pretty amazing, but the after picture, if we were honest, it's just plain ugly. In Revelation chapter 2, we find God talking to the same group of people that I just described. Here's the after picture of Ephesus. God is speaking and He says this to them, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you fall and repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Basically, that means God's going to take His blessing. I remember the first time I met and saw my first human love. She had brown eyes that just melted my soul. She had a smile that just about knocked me over. She walked into the dining room at Briarcrest College. She had Heather Locklear feathered hair. It was the 80s. Give me a break, all right? She was wearing a pink shirt with the collar popped. It was the 80s, so I was wearing a pink shirt with the collar popped. It was so wrong, right? She was wearing acid wash jeans. Do you remember those? They looked like a disease on your legs, but everybody thought they were cool, all right? She walked into that dining room, and man, I had been in like before, but suddenly I was in love with her. I mean, we started dating. It started getting serious. And one day I figured, it's time for me to profess my love to my first love. We were sitting in a car behind the dining room, and I worked up my courage all day long. And I looked into those brown eyes and I said to Laurel, I love you. And she said, thank you. (laughs) That's what she said. That was not the response I was looking for. I mean, what do you say to follow that up? You're welcome, right? (laughs) Not good, not good. I mean, and it took a little while, but all of a sudden, you know, she got with the program and we started falling in love with each other. It was an awesome process. It's been 20 plus years and it's even better now. I mean, your first love will always stand out in your mind. The first of anything's important, isn't it? You know, your first job, your first car, your first date, your first kiss, your first broken heart. I mean, they all represent milestones in your life. Laurel was my first human love. And I just told you about the process of how we fell in love with each other. That's the before part of our story, but there was an after part too. Around year three, after we'd been married, Laurel and I were dangling right on the edge of divorce. We were fighting and hurting each other on purpose. I mean, it was really bad. 
It didn't happen overnight. We, we just kind of slowly stopped talking. We just started drifting away from each other. We slowly stopped giving our relationship the attention that it needed. We, we just kind of stopped doing all of the things we'd been doing up to that point. We just started taking each other for granted. We lost that first love passion for each other. And I believe the reason is because we misplaced Jesus. We started doing Jesus on the side, not Jesus in the center. We lost our most important first love of all, which should be Jesus. I realized this weekend, I'm kind of talking to believers, those of you who've already made a decision about this relationship. We don't do that very often here, but we're going to do it this weekend. Somebody came up to me after the service and they said, thanks a lot for ruining my Super Bowl afternoon. I also got a complaint last night. They said there was too much Bible in the message. So the secret that the church in Ephesus had is they lost their love for Jesus. They replaced the love with a lot of things that they did instead of who they were. Their relationship got exchanged for religion and it got ugly. And I've got a real tough question for you to ask. And my prayer is that it'll bug you all afternoon until you actually want to do something about it. And my question is this, have you lost your first love? Have you lost it? Now, I mean, how, how would I know, right? How do I know if I've forsaken my first love? Well, there's a very clear answer in 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says this, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his command. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is made, truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Throughout this series, and we're kind of going to land this first section of the series, go in a completely different, uh, different direction in the weeks to come. As a part of this, a large group of our church has been going through 12 Steps, a spiritual journey. We need to pray for them because in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be approaching something called step four. Step four involves doing a fearless moral inventory, a, a gut check of their own soul. Most people drop out of 12 steps a spiritual journey at step four because they just haven't got the courage to actually look at themselves in the mirror and see what is really happening. Being honest with yourself is one of the most difficult tasks that a human can undertake. And the truth is most of us don't have the courage to have one of those gut check moments when we are really, really honest about our spiritual condition. We're going to do a spiritual step four today in this service. And before we start, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at the end. We're going to get to the end of a series of questions that I'm going to ask, and please believe me, I've been asking myself these questions all week. That's why we're talking about this. We're going to get to the end, and the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, is going to come and push your shame button. And he's going to say, you see, I told you. You're even worse than you thought. You're a failure. You're a sham. You've got secrets all over the place. And now everybody's going to know. He's going to come and push your shame button. I would encourage you in that moment to exercise the spiritual authority and identity that God has put in your life. Tell the enemy to shut his mouth and leave you alone because he has no right speaking to a child of God that way. 
And instead of being ashamed or sulking, how about thanking God that He's going to give you a moment where you can actually be honest and tell Him something that He already knows? The Bible says if Jesus is our first love, then we will do what He commands. So this morning, I'm just going to lay out seven commandments that God has asked of those people who profess to call themselves Christians. I put them in the form of questions, and I want you to notice something. The Bible doesn't ask us if we do these things. The Bible asks if we love to do them. There's a difference. Do we love to do them? And here's what I want us to do. In your mind, underneath each of the questions, I want you to create just a sliding scale of one to ten. And after each one of the questions, in an honest moment, I'm going to ask you to put an X over top of whatever number you think represents where you're at today. We're just going to have a spiritual moment here, all right? Question number one. Do you love to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I'm not just talking about what happened in the first 24 minutes. Do you love to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It also says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you just think back to the 24 minutes before I walked out here and you just ask whether or not you did that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you leave it all on the field in that moment? Question two. Do you love to listen to God by reading his word for wisdom, knowledge, comfort, and guidance? Some of you are saying, I don't like reading the Bible. I, I don't, it's boring. I'm not a reader. Where'd you get that, Grant? James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Question number three. Do you love to talk to God about the needs of others, your dreams and your trials? I don't like praying. It's hard. My mind just wanders. Why is that in there? Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always Keep on praying for all of the saints. Question number four, do you love to share your faith in Jesus with other people? No, that's your job, Grant. Really? Matthew 28. Go ye, all of you, and make disciples of all nations. Question number five, do you love to steward the financial trust that God has given you by honoring Him with the first portion of what you earn out of gratitude and thanksgiving. Some of you are thinking, oh, you're not going to go there, are you? Let's go there. Let's go there. See, where, where, does, where does the Bible say that? Malachi chapter 3. The Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, is the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not even have enough room to contain it. That's what it says. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, see also that you excel in this grace called giving. Question number six. Do you love to use your spiritual gifts and abilities to bless your spiritual family and to bring other people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? If you need to know where that comes from, I've got a whole chapter for you, 1 Corinthians 12. It says the body is a, or the, the, the church of God is a body, and if every part doesn't do it, the body doesn't work. Next question. 
Do you love to be in community with other believers? Some of you are like me. It's like, no, I'm an introvert. I like being alone. You ever felt sometimes like you need to repent of your big eye, you know? <laughs> I'm the introvert person. The Bible won't let us off the hook. Scripture says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Last question. Tough one. Do you love to meet the real needs of those who are poor, sick, persecuted, and in genuine crisis? Or do you prefer just to drive on by? The Bible says in Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 25 says, whatsoever you've done to the least of these, you did it to me. There are four normal responses that I have found when we talk about hard truth. The first response is infantile. We cross our arms and stomp our feet and say, oh yeah, well, so are you, but what am I? It's infantile. The second response to hard truth is denial. That's where we say, that does not apply to me. I found a clause, a loophole. I appreciate that the commandment is for everybody else in this room, but it's not for me because I have a different set of circumstances, and my circumstance trumps God's law. Careful. The third response is transference. That's when you just get really angry at the messenger for sticking his nose in your business and you wait for him at his car behind the church and beat him senseless. I don't recommend number three, all right? <laughs> Personal opinion, okay? The fourth response is this really cool thing that we don't see much of. It's called honesty. It's where we thank God for an honest moment when he just speaks real truth to us and we have to make a decision about where we're really at. I have been confronted with my own stuff on three major occasions in my life. In 1984, my friend David Boyce sat me down one day and says, Grant, I'm just pretty much sick of you playing this game. Some of us are actually serious about our, about our relationship with Jesus Christ, and you need to pick a team. In 1988, Dr. Elry Pullman, my good friend from Briarcrest, sat me down one day because he loved me, and he said, Grant, here's what I see. You are a cocky, arrogant young man, and you need to experience humility. In 1998, my wife, Laurel, sat me down and confronted me about my selfishness, and she said, Grant, you found a way to make everything in the world all about you, and it needs to stop. You know what made that truth hard? The fact that they were right. And in the moment it hurt, but I look back on it now and I saw God using them to confront me with the truth of my reality. I asked the questions, you have to decide what you're going to do with them. Some of you will decide you're going to deflect God's truth. You're going to absorb yourself in the Super Bowl this afternoon. And you're just going to hope that all of these questions, just, just go away. Just leave me alone. My prayer is that you'll have an honest moment. You see, at Christ the King, we spend a lot of time talking about God's love for us because it's pretty amazing. We talk about God's love for us 
about 98% of the time, but this morning I think we need to ask a different question. We know God loves us, but how do we love God? How do we love God? You know, can I just tell you my secret? I had way too many fours on my page. And I was not proud at all of my two. And what happened inside of me was, I, I got to get that up. I got to get to those eights and nines. I got to move this thing. And some of you, that's another reaction. I got to fix this. I got to fix this right now. Dear Jesus, where's my Bible? I mean, <laughs> last week we learned a spiritual principle that applies right now. If you want to move that thing up the scale, how are we supposed to start from last week? Small. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. Only He can do this. So if we are stuck on the wrong end of the scale, what are we supposed to do if we've forsaken our first love? What in the world does God want us to do? Scripture tells us exactly what He wants. In that Revelation passage, He says the first thing you're to do is remember. Remember the height from which you have fallen. When Laurel and I were wrapped in complete and total meltdown, you know what held us together? Our wedding vows. Our wedding vows held us together. We had a, made a promise to each other that we were going to honor God in our lives. Just like we look back on our wedding vows, do you remember the day when you gave your heart to Jesus? Do you remember what it felt like when reading your Bible was like going on a treasure hunt every single morning? Do you remember how it felt to be loved completely? The Bible says if you've lost your first love, remember. Think back to the cross. Think back to Calvary. Think back to the empty tomb. Think back to the fact that the reason those things happened is because God loved you that much. Remember. Secondly, it says repent and ask God for forgiveness. We don't like that because repenting means we have to tell God we were wrong. Repenting means being able to say out loud, Jesus, I say that I love you, but the truth is I don't do what you say. Repenting says, God, I lost my way. I need you to take me back. I need you to forgive me. I know that you love me. Help me to love you. And finally, Scripture tells us to return. Amazing little phrase. Do the things that you did at first. You know, when Laurel and I were newlyweds, every day was an adventure. I mean, we talked for hours. We listened to each other for hours. We learned how to do life together. We spent enormous amounts of time together. We gave gifts to each other. We honored each other in our relationship. We went out together. Even if it was just for a walk, it was like we were attached at the hip. When we got into rough, rough times, we started doing those things all over again. We started talking longer and investing more. We started going back and do the things that we knew to do because we knew those things worked. If you've lost your first love this morning, don't hang your head in shame. Go back and do the things that you know to do. Talk to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Share Jesus because He's the most precious thing that you have. Be thankful. That's your first love. Has a thing for people who get it wrong. 
I don't know where you're at on your scale. I didn't mean to blow your Super Bowl afternoon. But if this bugs you, maybe it should. Maybe it's time for the family of God to come back to their first love. Talk to a young guy after the 8.30 service. He goes, Grant, you were wrong this morning. I said, really? How's that? He said, there's a fifth response that you missed. I said, what's that? He goes, it's the booyah response. <laughs> he scared me too. I mean, <laughs> said, if you saw my life before Jesus, and you see it now, I haven't got tens in any category, but God's getting me there. He's getting married in not too distant future. I think the picture that God has laid in front of them is pretty awesome because they're wrapping their love around their first love. I don't give a rip if you're married or single. Jesus wants to be that first love. And the way we show that we love Him is by obeying His commands. So let's have an honest moment. Let's tell God what He already knows. And my prayer is that you have both the faith and the courage to express to God where you're really at in loving Him, knowing how much He loves you. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, I love to tell people how much I love you, but the truth is what I say and what I do are often inconsistent. God, I want to thank you for a bit of a spiritual wake-up call this week. I want to thank you for a moment, a painful moment, when I had to look deeply into my own soul and find some areas where I've allowed you to not be my first love. God, I pray that none of us today would be wrapped in shame or guilt. We all have work to do. But God, I thank you that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit that we can even dream of learning how to love you more and better. So God, as we walk through the rest of this day, I pray for honesty, courage, and strength. God, I pray that we would move beyond good intentions, that we would understand that, that you truly do love us even when we fail. God, I pray for movement in the heart of all of us this week. I thank you, God, that you can take a three and allow it to grow and flourish. And we simply ask for growth this morning. God, I thank you that you love us in spite of ourselves. I thank you that there are no secrets between you and us. And I pray that we would live in the holiness and the freedom of that knowledge this week. God, thank you for the word that hangs like a plumb line.
that there is a standard. God, I thank you that you dream for us to start small and finish well. So God, may we take these words today, process them in spirit and in truth. May they open our heart to growing more and more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.